Sidelined USA presents Sideline Stories. We interview athletes who could no longer participate in their sport anymore due to creating injury, health condition, and concussion risk. We talk about their stories. What have they been through? What was their journey like? What was it like to step away from their greatest passions? So we do this all to start a conversation about what happens when an athlete has to step away from their sport due to circumstances that are outside of their control. The reality is, although it may seem like the end of an era, it can be the beginning of another. Every aspect of my life goes back to that moment in time and the inability to play soccer. And it was something similar to me losing a loved one. When I was told I couldn't play anymore, it's like my identity was, was taken away from me. It was like if we say, if we tell people that we're sad or we're depressed, then we're going to look, we're going to be looked at as weak and unable to perform. And if it weren't for this injury, I don't know that I would be where I'm at personally with finding my value in my being instead of what I'm doing. The courageous route is to confront how you're feeling and to be honest about it. Hi there. So today we have with us Val Jones. And Val, we would love for you to just give us a little brief introduction to you, your background in sports, and what you do currently. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Christine. Yes, my name is Val Jones, and I am a former competitive, and then I turned professional figure skater. I started skating when I was five, and then I had a career-ending knee injury when I was 18. I left the athletic world uh, for quite some time, and I am now a CrossFit athlete, a CrossFit instructor, and a CrossFit affiliate owner. Ah, nice. Very good. So, yes, so you, obviously, you were an ice skater growing up, and um, I know from talking to you previously that it was all encompassing in your life. So tell us a little bit about what skating meant to you growing up and just some of the, the ways that skating really kind of set the course of your life. Absolutely. I started skating, what, what started out as a very innocent trip for my family and I, I'm the youngest of seven. And so that was a big, um, that was a fun outing that my parents decided to do. A brand new ice rink had opened up around, uh, not, uh, you know, like a few miles from our house. And so my parents said, hey, let's go do this. This sounds like fun. I I don't think they had any idea of what that one day would (laughs) turn out to be uh, for them as parents. But the very first time I put those skates on and stepped out onto that ice, I, I felt like a duck in water. And I knew in that moment that that is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And I think that that's unusual for a Mm five-year-old, but really I knew knew that that's what I wanted to do. And there was no other place that I wanted to be other than being out on the ice. Mm -hmm. So a very short time later, uh, by the time, just a year and a half later, I was training about six hours a day. Wow. Uh, three hours. Yeah. Three hours before school, three hours after school, six days a week. And when I was 11, my parents made the decision that the coaching in the Sacramento area wasn't quite what I needed to bring me to that next level. So my mom and I left our home in Sacramento, left my dad and my siblings, and we got a teeny tiny apartment in the Bay Area 
which where for the next seven years, I was able to train with Brian Bortano and his coach. Hmm. Wow. Wow. That's, that's quite a sacrifice that your family made. That's tremendous. It is. And I didn't realize uh, the enormity of that sacrifice in the moment. Um, as a parent, now I understand the enormity of it. Um, Mom and I would go after practice on Friday night, we would drive back to our home in Sacramento. So it was about a two, two and a half hour drive. So we would go home every weekend to see my dad and my siblings. And then Sunday night, we would head back to the Bay Area. Mm, yeah. Were you doing traditional school during that time or were you what, having a different course with, with education? So by the time I hit high school, yes, I did. I had a couple of classes that I had to go on campus for because they weren't available through um, the homeschooling correspondence program. So I did a couple of classes at the high school and then the rest of it was, I guess you nowadays you would call it homeschooling. We called it correspondence back then right just to give you that flexibility to do more to do more training, training. right yeah I, yep train train uh, train ah uh, so what were your hopes for your skating career i had hoped to go to the olympics mm -hmm. that 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 was always the hope and the goal and the dream and sometimes i feel like it, it was it was on the horizon and i could i could see it I had the privilege of, of competing against and sharing the ice and the podium with Christy Yamaguchi, Tanya Harding, and Nancy Kerrigan. Those are names that your listeners probably have heard of. Mm -hmm, for sure. So all of a sudden, you're 18, I believe it was your 18, but you, you got a knee injury and you later would learn that would, you know, permanently take you out of the running for your career. Tell us about what happened and just some of the implications of that. Well, injury had not been unfamiliar to me. I had had small injuries in the years prior, but nothing that I wasn't able to work through and do physical therapy to come back. Um, but this knee injury, yes, it was when I was training my triple Lutz and I probably knew it in the moment because the pain was very, very acute. I reached back with my right free leg and tapped with my toe pick into the ice. And when you're hurling your body, Christine, through time and space, three, three revolutions in under a second, you really have to crank it, for, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. And so I cranked, but my toe pick stayed in. And so basically oh my, my knee rotated and I, I, I felt it. It was, there was an audible uh, noise that came from it and the pain was excruciating. I didn't think that it was a deal breaker in the moment. I just knew that this injury was more severe mm -hmm. than the others I had sustained. And it wasn't until, you know, we did the MRI a little bit later that, um, that I got the bad news that, they didn't think that I should skate anymore, but I knew in the moment that this injury was much more severe than any other injury I had sustained. Right. So what was the actual diagnosis? So I had torn, uh, I had torn my meniscus and ACL. Okay. Okay. 
one shot, wow. both of them. Most athletes either have one or the other, but I had both. Okay. And is that particular, because that, that the combination, is that why they were saying like, you shouldn't skate again? Exactly. And the orthopedic surgeon at the time, he's like, you know, if you had just done one or just done the other, you might've gotten away with it, but both, oh my God. both is, is, is not, not sustainable. Right. So what were your thoughts as he's telling you this? I mean, were you thinking <laughs> like, this is bogus. I'm going to go get other opinions or was, did you have that relationship with him where you trusted what he was saying and you saw on the, you know, I don't know, the, 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 the MRI, like what he was talking about or just kind of what was your initial response? Because that's a lot to process right off the bat. It was, and he was, he was very bland in his delivery, which I suppose when you're delivering bad news, I guess that's appropriate um, response for him. I almost felt like it was an out of world experience. It was like I was there and I was hearing it, but I remember thinking this, this isn't my life. This can't be the end. Um, Definitely. I am getting another opinion. This guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Hmm. What do you mean? My skating career is over. Do you have no idea what I have given up to get to this point? And so it, it was utter disbelief. It was kind of this, you know, out of world experience where I heard what was going on, but I just simply couldn't believe it. Um, and I did follow up and get other opinions. And unfortunately, they all said the same thing. Hmm. How long did that process take? I mean, like months wise, how many different doctors? Uh, that was several weeks. That was probably a four to six week process. Oh, that is, that's a lot of bad information in a short period of time. Um, yeah. So, okay. So that happens and you are, you're not getting anywhere with having someone else find some better way for you to come back from this. So at that point, um, tell us a little bit about just how you processed that and even, you know, going further into, from your perspective, like what were the most difficult aspects of, um, you know, that bad news and not being able to go back to this, to the ice? Well, in order to answer that question, I need to go back in time just a little bit. And so your listeners can kind of get a full grasp on where I was emotionally at that point in my life. I had just turned 18. Five years prior to that, I lost my dad to a massive heart attack. We had gotten home on that Friday night, and um, my dad uh, died that night. And after my dad passed, there was a moment when I thought I was going to quit skating because my dad was such an integral part of my skating career. He was very supportive, and I thought, I just can't be out there on the ice without him there. But then there was also something at me, even though I was only 13 years old, where I was of the full understanding that that's really not what my dad would have wanted for me. 
Mm-hmm. And now I was skating, not just for me, but I was skating for him as well. Mm-hmm. So I, I went back to, to skating and that was the right decision. I really don't think my dad would have want, wanted me to have quit. Um, but it was hard. It was hard being out there on the ice. And so five years later, without sounding like I'm a, I'm a drama queen, um, but it almost felt like it was a second death. Because everything that I was, everything that I am, and everything that I had worked for was for skating. And so for, the, for that to be yanked out of my life so quickly and unpredictably, just as my dad had been yanked out of the life quickly and unpredictably, it, it felt like a second death. And so it was, it was devastating for me to be in that same position just a few short years later. And I honestly feel like I almost grieved it like a death. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We hear that a lot, even for those who aren't also just coming, you know, freshly processing the loss of a loved one, but we hear that from sideline athlete and sideline athlete, you know, that it just feels like a part of them had died and it just, it just feels like someone has died. And um, that can be such a tremendously devastating um, mental process to go through because it can feel like nobody else gets it, quite gets it. Like, how do I be Val with, if I can't be Val, you know? Um, a skater, yeah. Yeah. And so what was your like lowest point during that time? And just talk a little bit about that. Well, I think it was the culmination I don't think it was any one thing for for your athletes who competed at a high level, or even if they didn't compete at a high level, if you identify your entire being as that, like I was a skater, that's not what I did, it was who I was. I think it's that complete feeling of, well, what the heck do I do now? Everything from the time I was six has been geared toward this one goal. So the lowest point was just figuring out who am I now and what the heck am I going to do with the rest of my life? Because in that moment, it was just, it was all taken away. And, and, and like I said, working through the grieving process, there was definitely, you know, the denial and then it was bargaining and, working itself through that. Um, I dealt with it in, um, and I'm embarrassed and, and ashamed, but I, I dealt with it in not very healthy ways. There was no sidelined back in 1988 to help me through it. My best friend, my dad, was not there to support me through it. And my mom, bless her heart, she was just trying to get through the day sure. as she was dealing with the loss of her husbands. And my brothers and sisters were were still in Sacramento, so I didn't have any sibling support. So I was truly, truly by myself trying to navigate through this. Mm-hmm. It was a very, it was a very lonely time for me. Right. So, and this was like your social, social circle too, because you weren't even in, you know, that much of traditional high school. Um, you, I'm guessing that this was just, it wasn't just what you did. It was also who you surrounded yourself with. 
And once Absolutely. that was taken away, I'm sure your life looked very, very different. It, it did. Yeah, it did. And most people, because I knew a few people in, in high school, because I did have a couple of classes, they didn't necessarily get me. Mm-hmm. You know, athletes who compete at that high a level, like they didn't understand why I didn't go to the games um, or go to, to dances or hang out or go to the pep rallies. Like they didn't understand why I was in bed at eight o'clock on a Friday night because I had to be up and on the ice at five o'clock the next morning. They didn't get that. So I didn't have a whole lot of friends in the school room. Yes. My whole entire social circle was, was other skaters. Mm -hmm. So did you end up like having anyone to talk to about it? Even if, I, I don't know, did you, did you, did you open up about it? How you were feeling with anybody? No, I had nobody. And for athletes who they're in that position right now today, that would not be my suggestion Mm -hmm. to try to go it alone. You need to pull people, you need to pull people in, you need to have support. Right. But that was not a good decision. And it wasn't that, you know, necessarily I decided to have it be that way. It's that I was away from my siblings and I think it was just the circumstances that I didn't have the support at that time. Right. So I'm curious if you think that that like not having anyone to process it with or making sure that you were able to process process it with somebody. I'm curious if you think that that kind of made your transition process take longer and like how long you would say that you struggled to come to that point of personal acceptance and like hopefulness about the future? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I think my, my quote unquote recovery process was much, much longer because I had no guidance. I had nobody to vent to, nobody to cry to. Um, definitely extended uh you know my knee might have been better six months out but my physical my my physical health was had returned but my mental health definitely suffered yeah you are dead on with that it definitely lengthened my recovery time right yeah so meanwhile during that whole process i mean you end up having to watch your competitors, you know, Christy Yamaguchi and Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding, they're all going mm-hmm. on to the Olympics um, mm-hmm. and you're not. So I'm sure that was just like another like nail in the coffin of just your, you know, just that what you're processing and the loss that you're processing because you tangibly are seeing your fellow competitors go and do the very things that you would and should be doing. It was very difficult, Christine. I felt like I had moved forward a little bit in that healing process. My mom encouraged me to go to college, which in all honesty, it wasn't that I was a bad student. I was able to figure out exactly enough how exactly enough work I had to do to get decent grades to appease my mom uh, so that I could do what I really wanted to do which was skate um, but a college was not ever on the horizon for me from the time I was five or six years old that just wasn't part of the game plan but I I did go to college 
I went to junior college for two years and then I transferred um, to Kansas State University um, in 1990. And I distinctly remember sitting in my apartment. I was a senior in college in 1992 and watching Christy uh, skate and, and she skated beautifully. I'm, I'm so happy for her. Um, I never wanted anything bad to happen to my competitors, but there was definitely a feeling like, I wonder if I could have been there. Right. It's the, I wonder what if, and so I had gone forward in my, my healing, but then 1992, 94, yes, I got, it kind of sent me back a little bit watching them and wondering if, if I could have potentially been there as well. For sure. Yeah, there's, there really seems to be these triggers and like the start of another season for sports or yes, your sports team goes on to, you know, achieve what you wanted to. It just, even though you've already maybe come to a certain point of acceptance, it just, um, from the experience that we've been talking to sideline athletes, it just, it kind of loops you back and it's going through it all over again. Maybe it lasts a little bit you know, less long, the grief this time, but it still just hurts. And um, yeah, that's that inner tension, right? Of being happy for the people that are able to go on and fulfill their dreams. But um, having that certain sense of, like you said, that wonder, like, or what it would it have been like if I was with them doing that right now, like Mm -hmm. I wanted to be. And, you know, I know that can get kind of deep because then you, you also, then you can end up kind of, um, almost feeling guilty over this torn spirit of you're, you're happy for them. Sure. But like at the same time, it's just, it hurts you. Therefore, you know, it's kind of this, gosh, can I just be happy for people? But it's also so hurtful and such a reminder of what could have been. So I feel like um, there's just a lot of inner tension that can happen during that time. So um, obviously you're doing great now. (laughs) Hopefully it didn't take you this, you know, 20 years to get to that point. Tell us a little bit about what you would say helped you kind of make that transition forward, that mental shift towards personal acceptance and kind of how I'm thinking of that is in terms of um, maybe making that shift from the grieving and the depression and the kind of just downcast um, of the um, experience to a more hopeful, like, okay, you know, like I'm going to be okay. And I have different things I'm going to pour myself into and I can still be myself and be a better version of me because of what I've been through. Like, yeah. Tell us a little bit about your experience in that transition. Well, I think the first thing is allow yourself to grieve the loss mm-hmm. because it is a loss. Everything that you had hoped and planned for is now gone. And so I think giving yourself the time to grieve that appropriately is absolutely critical in in healing and understanding that it's a process and the process will look different for everybody and the process will take a different length of time for everybody. So allowing yourself to go through that. And then it's, for me, I thought about all of the things that I learned in my skating career. I mean, I honestly think that the person that I am now was developed at five o'clock 
in the morning on that cold, hard ice. So much of who I am as an adult about perseverance and persistence and how to win gracefully, how to lose gracefully, how to stick to a plan and keep attacking at it um, and fighting through the ups and downs of getting to that goal and, and being appreciative of those character traits that honestly I feel like can only be learned out on the field or on the ice or on the court. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love youth sports for that reason. So making, you know, acknowledging the fact that you are a better person because of the sport that you played. Um, getting, getting people involved. We just said going it alone is, is not the way to go. I don't think I necessarily picked that way. That was just my fate. Um, at that time, but, mm-hmm. but, but surround yourself with people who will help you grow through, through this time um, and be thankful for it. It's very difficult to be thankful and angry at the same time. And I think it's, it's, a, it's making the cognitive switch intentionally to being thankful for everything that your sport had taught you. Right. And then it's looking at what can I do in the future? Well, just because I can't insert sport here, whatever sport that person played, doesn't mean that you still can't be an athlete. So it's figuring out, well, what am I interested in? What do I like? And then and then seeing if you can take your athleticism and apply it to something different. Right. And here's the thing. It may not be another sport. Maybe, maybe you're going to be the best person on your debate team, or maybe you're going to crush it and you're going to be a real estate mogul and buying and selling properties. I mean, those are all still within the competitive realm. It's just not athletic. So finding something that you can apply your competitive spirit to, that has definitely helped me in transition. My thing has just been CrossFit, mm-hmm. but, but that may not work for, for everybody. But I, I'm still a competitor, Christine, just because I don't skate anymore and just because it's been many years removed from my injury, being a competitor, not just a skater, being a competitor isn't what I do. It's who I am. And I've just had to learn how to apply that competitive spirit to other things. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I know some athletes, um, can stay involved with their sport through other ways and be happy that way. And others, it's just too painful, you know, to be, to engage with coaching or to engage with anything where it's directly related to whatever that sport is. It's just, especially in the beginning, it, it, you know, it can be too much. It can just, it can be more painful than it's worth. However, um, sometimes people have to just work through that. I know um, Cade, my son Cade, who was sidelined with basketball, he took a break, um, didn't, didn't engage with basketball at all for two and a half years. And then at that time, we engaged and it was a great thing for him. But I imagine you know, really everybody's different, whether that can be a helpful thing or whether that can be something that just, um, 
kind of picks at the wound and um, yeah. it's really up to the individual to figure that out. But I like what you had to say about, you know, maybe it is that sport, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's rebuilding that competitive spirit or I should say extending that competitive spirit to a different context altogether. Um, for CrossFit, I'm, I know that I've heard about adaptive CrossFit. Like if someone has, mm -hmm. like someone like you who has like a, a serious, serious knee injury that I'm guessing um, has has implications for you going forward. You know, like you just, your knee is not probably what it, even now what it would be um, had it not been injured. So how have you been able to make accommodations with CrossFit for yourself? Or how do you see that happening for anyone else who might be interested in CrossFit, but not sure if they can kind of get into it because of whatever it is their injury, you know, has sustained? Correct. CrossFit is infinitely scalable, meaning that you just have to work around your injuries or your limitations. So yes, I will need a new knee at some point in my life. Two years ago, I had a new hip put into place that was on my landing leg. And I've also had a back fusion. So all of these are stemming from skating. And so what it looks like for me, so if running is painful for me, so I don't run, I get on the rower. I also do not box jump. I don't jump on the box. That's also too hard. I do step-ups. So it is just, it's, am I still working as hard as I can? Yes. Does it look different from maybe what the rest of the class is? Maybe. But do I care? No, because I'm still working as hard as I am, I am and can in that moment. So you take the movement and you make it fit to the person who's on the other side of you. I mean, my mom is 83 and she's had two back fusions and, and my mom crossfits. Wow. So I know she's amazing. That's so, awesome. so you have to just say, okay, I can't do that movement. What can I do? Mm -hmm. And then do that. Right. And, and so CrossFit has been a great outlet for me. And I guess the best advice that I ever got was let pain be your guide. If it hurts, don't do it. Mm -hmm. It's as easy as that. Mm -hmm. And these athletes who are sidelined, I'm pretty sure and pretty comfortable with the fact that they understand the difference between this hurts because it's muscle fatigue. That's the kind of pain we push through versus, holy cow, that really hurts. And that's the kind of pain that we don't push through. Right. So it's just finding what works for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's, that's there's really something to that. I, we talk about this at Sideline USA a lot, that sense of setting new goals. And we try to encourage athletes because um, of course they're going to compare to their old, you know, able-bodied self, you know, a hundred percent self. And it's like, you can't compare to that. You have to compare to, if it's an injury um, that has sidelined you, you have to compare to day one post-injury and the progress that you've made since then. So, um, yeah, I think it's really, really helpful to set new goals. And I think something like CrossFit is a great outlet for that because you're doing that in a, in a lot of ways, a team setting where I know that from, um, conversations, I'm not a CrossFitter, but I have heard from a lot of CrossFit friends, just what the community, it's kind of like a team. It's, it's in a lot of ways that, um, that camaraderie that you're all working really hard to just, you know, to towards your goals. And I feel like 
that's what I'm hearing from you is like, you were able to, to do those things within that setting and you had the social support to back that up as well. It is. And while I only had my dad for 13 years, I had my dad for 13 years, Christine, and I had him for a long enough time that he really made an impact on me. And one of the things my dad was really big into was attitude. And it's not what happens to your life, to you in your life, but how you react to it. And so for what you just said about the the athletes looking, comparing themselves to who they were, um, it's a mental shift. You have to consciously decide, I'm not going to look at the things that I can no longer do. I'm going to focus on the things that I still can do. Mm -hmm. And I'm knocking on the door being 50 this year. And I've had five surgeries in the last five years, four of them orthopedic, all stemming from skating. I choose not to look at the things that I can't do in CrossFit, but rather look at what my body is still able to do at almost 50 years old. And at the risk of sounding stuck up, I'm very proud of that because I've worked really, really hard on rehabbing from four orthopedic surgeries in a row. And um, it's a choice and, and you get to choose your attitude. And so I just choose to look at it as, not, I can't do this, but Hey, look at what my body can still do. I'm amazed. Yeah, for sure. I think that's great. So, so far it sounds like as far as athletes who are like looking to get back engaged with a sport, whether that be a different sport or, um, just staying athletic, your advice would be, um, to, to set new goals, to, um, um, try something to, to celebrate, like what they can do and to kind of that forward motion. What else, what other advice would you give to an athlete who's like trying out another sport or maybe it's a a different outlet altogether. It's maybe it's something to do with sports, but it's not, um, you know, maybe it's something like uh, sports journalism or photography or something like that. What would you, I don't know, any other advice for them as they're starting to try something, which isn't going to feel probably in the very beginning quite the same as the rush that they would get from their sport because it just doesn't ever start out like that. But what other things would you recommend for them? I would say be patient with yourself. If you left your sport at a very elite level and very competent, that is your identification. And when you embark on something new, you're new. Right. You're, you're not going to be efficient and effective and elite and competent all at one time. If you're starting something new, you are new and you have to give yourself the grace and the mercy and the patience while you learn that new thing, that new sport. Um, Malcolm Gladwell in his book Outliers says it takes 10,000 hours to master something. And I know darn well, Christine, I I spent that 10,000 hours on the ice. Uh, But when I was first starting in CrossFit, I thought, how am I an athlete? And I I can't even run 400 meters without being smoked and being in complete pain. Mm -hmm. And it's because I was new. 
-hmm. So my, I would definitely recommend these athletes trying something new. Be patient with yourself. Right. Get a coach. If, if it is a sport and, and it's a sport that you don't know, get a coach. There's nothing um, embarrassing or humbling about it. It's, you know, you had a coach in your old sport. What makes you think that you can do this new sport without a coach? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it just takes time. And I think bring, bringing the qualities of your competitive self from your past sport into your new sport will help you as well. Right. Yeah. We love that message at sidelined. Um, I, I think there's such power in that and that helps you really, um, I guess as a sideline athlete, it just really helps you to see yourself as the same person. It's just a different outlet mm-hmm. and that can be tremendously yes. empowering to feel yourself again and realize that, you know, that was your sport was the context in which you, you know, applied all the character qualities that make you, you, but that wasn't your entirety. That wasn't you. It was your extension of your character qualities, which is transferable. You know, that you can transfer that to other categories and other, and other means and be very, very, very successful because of what athletics has taught you as a competitor, as a leader, as somebody who is determined to work harder than anybody else, you know, as athletes often are. Um, so thanks for, for sharing all that. Um, yeah, bringing, bringing all those qualities forward is, is a wonderful gift to yourself. I like that. For sure. I like that a lot. I haven't heard it in those terms. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's powerful. Yeah. So as we are wrapping up and thanks so much for, for sharing kind of the, your journey and where you see that you could have done things better, you know, surrounding yourself with, um, more support or opening up. I mean, I know that was, like you said, in some ways you didn't feel like you had a choice. It wasn't your choice to not have someone to talk to, but, um, that said and done, you wish you would have, you know, had that opportunity to do that. And you spoke about all the kinds of things that help propel you mentally forward, um, just wrapping up here, knowing what you know now, if you were to go back in time when you were told, you know, let's say after the last doctor's visit, um, where it's finally sinking in, there's nothing more that can be done medically, your, your, your skating career is over. What would you tell yourself, um, at that time? And, um, let's go back in that moment for a second. If I could go back in time and tell myself one thing, I would think I would tell my 18-year-old self that it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. It really is. And even though you can't see it right now, it is going to be okay. Yeah. That part of your life may be over, and, and you can choose to look at it as the end, or you can choose to look at it as the beginning of something else. And I just couldn't see it at that time, but it's going to be okay. Val, thank you. What a great note to end on. Just that assurance from someone who has, has the life experience to look back and to, to see it from a full perspective where you felt 
that your life was over and you didn't know how to find your, your way forward without um, your sport. Now looking back and realizing that um, all the goodness of your sport gave to you and how that prepared you for life and for success and for happiness um, and mm-hmm. fulfillment. I mean, I think that's a big deal with um, sideline athletes is how am I going to feel fulfilled again if I'm not, you know, looking to achieve, working to achieve the win or the personal PR or whatever. Um, yeah. So thank you for, for showing that kind of path forward to finding new fulfillment again and rebuilding what was lost. Um, appreciate your time yes. with us today. Absolutely.